Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Chris Greenwood. All right. We're going to continue to do something a little different today, which will kind of unfold in front of you with me sitting in this stool. But how many of you really enjoyed worship this morning? The musical, musical aspect of worship. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Um, it made what I'm about to do a lot easier, which I'm thankful for, but still going to be difficult. But I want to set this, this tone for something I realized is a while back, Pastor Steve and I got to go to a luncheon of sorts, a pastor's luncheon by this group called Catch the Fire. And it was a real fun luncheon, and one of the moments of it, it ended by them praying for us. And so a guy came up and prayed for me. And I've been pondering it ever since he first prayed for me. And he said, the, the gist of the prayer was that there's, he said, I know it doesn't make much sense, but there's a lot of strings and they look like it's just a big mess. And you've been trying to tie them together and to make them into like a beautiful knot. But he said, it just hasn't been working. And I don't know if it has to do with your ministry or whatever it has to do with, but, but the Lord's going to tie all that together into this beautiful bow and you're going to be able to see what he's been working on for a long time, and it'll make sense to you. And so I've been pondering that for months. And so working here at KPC, I've seen a lot of loose strings, and sometimes it looks like a mess. And I'm kind of like, you know, it must be, it must be ministry-related. But maybe not. Maybe this morning I'm going to tell you something that's been tied together in my life. And so... I wanted to share that with you. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you this morning, church, more vulnerable than I've ever been in a sermon in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm by faith believe that good. Um, why? Why is a great question, and I've wrestled with it an awful lot leading up to this morning to the point where I'm still hesitant because it's not a safe idea what I'm about to say. But here's why. Because bearing witness or testifying to the sovereign and loving work of God is always a great thing. Always a great thing. Because I'm convinced that the early church, the people we've been studying about for months now, were immensely more vulnerable than we are in our very safe, individualistic American Christianity. And because something has shifted in me over these last few weeks that I believe that by telling you about it, potentially someone else in this very room might have a shift like that occur in their lives, too. And then lastly, because it's 2017, and as you have heard me say endlessly, this is the reset year. This is us establishing a new normal. And I believe a new normal for us as a church should involve vulnerability from us towards one another. The mystery of vulnerability is that people can hurt us a lot more once they know about us. But our true enemy, the one that's not made of flesh and blood, his power is diminished in the self-exposing of weaknesses and failings. An accuser has no power when the accusation is already widely known. That's important to remember. An accuser has no power if the accusation is already widely known. The self-admitting former prostitute does not bow to the accusation of immorality when she openly testifies about the lifestyle she used to live before encountering Christ. 
The former alcoholic who's found victory through Christ is not shamed by the darkness of his past so long as his past is already known. Now, my testimony to you this morning is not nearly so flashy as the examples I just used. But to me, and I believe to many of you, you will find it real and relatable retelling of a recent renewal within me that will hopefully be an encouragement to your souls. How's that for an opening? So, all right. Many months ago, in a passing comment, Pastor Steve described me as a discipling pastor rather than a discipleship pastor. Now, I'd never heard myself described like that before, but it immediately resonated within my spirit because I am a discipling pastor. I can't but help but disciple. But I believe that's not unique about myself. See, I believe all of us are called to disciple, to be a discipling electrician, a discipling teacher, a discipling lawyer, a discipling plumber, a discipling stay-at-home mom. So yes, I'm a discipling pastor. And yes, I've been called by this church and by God to establish an intentional relational discipleship ministry at this church. As such, I lead by example and I disciple people. And when I start in one-on-one discipleship, I go through the book of 1 John. In 1 John, there's a verse that's been a sticking point to me for over two years now. It's 1 John 4.16. I believe it's going to pop up there on the screen, but it says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. As I've discipled people over these two years, I've paused at this verse, and I've told them that this is a struggle for me. It's a struggle because if I'm honest with myself, I only experientially live in the first half of the verse. I know that God loves me. I'm utterly and totally convinced of it. His actions have proven it, not only when he sent Jesus, but in the day-to-day living of life. In the Greek, this type of knowing is experiential knowledge. It's known through experience, and I have experienced his love for me on a personal level. But... I have struggled to believe God loves me. You see, KPC, knowing is one thing and believing is another. Knowing is logical and factual and certain. And the word for believing in the Greek translates to, on the other hand, believing translates to trusting, accepting, embracing. So knowing is being certain that this stool will hold me, and so I sit. Believing is trusting that knowledge in a way that allows me to rest and relax in it. So, believing is what allows me to sit here without thinking it's going to collapse at any given moment. This last year, which would be really awkward if this stool collapsed in just a moment. <laughs> so, even now, I'm, my, wave, my belief is wavering in the stool. But, this time last year, I found myself here with you all. A church that throws itself into worship. A church that steps Uh, into belief, a church that doesn't let its head stop its heart. Now, before what I'm saying is misunderstood, please don't hear me say that the heart is more important than the head or that knowledge is less important than belief. The scripture I read doesn't say that, and I'm not saying that. It says we need both knowledge and belief in equal measure. I, however, have long struggled to embrace the emotional side of my faith to its fullest capacity. Why? 
Again, the why question. Because I was wounded and I was damaged, me loving others has not been the problem. Me receiving love from others has been the problem. Back in January, February of this year, all the pastors shared their testimonies. In mine, I talked about my parents' divorce, and I told you about the time I watched from the window as my dad drove off in his white pickup truck with my golden retriever dog beside him, and I told you it was like some sad country song, and it was. It was the saddest of country songs. But it was also like a stone dropping in a lake that has had ripples on my life ever since. My dad and I have a great relationship today, so it's not that it ever got bad. He was just gone. Later on in high school, my two best friends began to drift away. In college, my first discipler, who was like a big brother to me, eventually um, left our discipleship group because of the direction he was given from the leadership of that campus ministry. My best friend and roommate in college eventually stole my second girlfriend while I was out serving the Lord as a children and youth director in a small town in western Georgia. Um, that's just wrong. A thousand, <laughs> thousand levels. Um, the best man in my wedding and I had a parting of ways because Sarah and I were doing all we could to keep our heads above water. The first two years of marriage and he and his wife just didn't know how to support us in that. And see, I could keep going. I could tell you of relational woundedness at seminary between myself and other fellow pastors to be. I could tell you the hurts I received at some of the men at my last church. Now, I don't want you to think that everyone's just been mean to me. It's just that woundedness makes you more sensitive to other woundedness. It has a compounding effect. But maybe you get the picture. My question that circulates in my heart for so many years, was there ever going to be a man, a brother, a friend who was going to love me enough to stay in my life and not leave? As I've gotten to know my fellow pastors here at KPC over this last year, that same question has whispered over and over and over in my head and in my heart. You don't really think they're going to stay, do you? My wife and I have a good relationship And each day we're closer to having a great one, but that's not always been the case. In my marriage, I've struggled in two main areas, affirmation and spiritual leadership. Does that surprise you? It surprises me every time I say that. (laughs) It just surprises me. But I believe that my woundedness has played a key part in that. If you're familiar with the Five Love Languages book, then you'll understand what I mean when I say that my wife's love language is words of affirmation. I've known that for practically as long as I've been married, so you think I would just have figured out a way to affirm her on a regular basis, especially after almost 15 years. But I've struggled to do so. I could give you multiple reasons why I've struggled to find any sort of consistency, but none of them really matter except for one. I couldn't will myself to do it. I couldn't transform myself into the person she needed me to be in order to speak love to her in that way. I tried. I repeatedly tried. But eventually I failed every single time. I couldn't seem to figure out how to speak to her the very words I longed to hear from others 
who were no longer in my life. I've also struggled to lead my wife spiritually, and as a pastor in front of a church, there's no great way to say that. We've tried numerous options. We've tried different times, different studies, different methods. I've had numerous recommitments to make this part of our routine. I pray with our kids. I talk with them about spiritual things. Christ is a huge part of our family. But when it comes to just Sarah and I, it's been a struggle. And she, see, I can't even look at it right now. She has deserved so much better. Marriage is to model Christ's relationship with the church. But how does someone do that that's been as damaged as I've been? Well, Pastor Chris, so far this testimony is pretty much a downer. Um, are you going to turn, turn the corner? I am going to turn the corner, so hang in there. About four weeks ago, that was my reality. That's what you didn't know was swirling around in here. Then our family left to go on our southeastern road trip to see the grandparents. And leading up to that departure, Sarah had found a new study that was coming out in June for She Reads Truth. It's a great app, by the way. encourage all you ladies to do that. It was a family bundle, though, and so everyone could go through the Book of Romans together. So Sarah asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said what I always said. Sure. So she ordered it and then also noticed that there was a 14-day study on the Song of Songs, sometimes called Song of Solomon in your Bibles, that was currently available. We'd previously done a study on Song of Songs as a young married couple in a Bible study by Tommy Nelson, which I highly recommend, but only to married people. Just want to put that out there. Don't do it if you're not married. Don't do it. Um, so she asked me if I wanted to give it a try to fill the time between then and when Romans came out. And so I said, very consistently, sure. We left on our trip, and Sarah began reading the study to us while I was driving. Everything went great the first day. And then day two happened of the 14-day study. As she was reading, my world came into clear focus, and two things happened. One, I began crumbling apart on the inside, and two, a shift began to happen. The author of the study brought something out of Song of Songs that I've never seen before, and I didn't remember Tommy Nelson addressing in his study. She highlighted a progression or transformation through a certain phrase, and these should be up there in a second. It happens in verses 216, 63, and then 710, and they read like this. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. So the author's point was tied to our marriages with each other and how as we mature in our marriage, we shift from needing to own or control our spouse, you know, my beloved is mine, and I am his, to eventually simply resting in the love our spouse has for us as we abandon ourselves to him or her. So Sarah very naturally asked me where I thought we were in our marriage. It's very natural to ask that. It's a marriage study. I, however, did not answer her question. 
I didn't answer it because I wasn't thinking about our marriage. All I could think about was, where am I with this on God? So I told Sarah, I think I'm between steps two and three with the Lord. And that I think the reason I'm not at number three is affecting a lot of things in my life, including our marriage. Well, the trip went on, and we kept going through the study, but I couldn't stop thinking about that progression. I couldn't stop thinking about one word, the word desire. His desire is for me. Webster defines desire as something longed or hoped for. After a week or so, I realized that I didn't believe it. I didn't accept, didn't trust, and couldn't bring myself to embrace that God's desire is for me. Why? Because almost every significant male influence, mentor, or friend has left me, and most of them hurt me on the way out. Remember, for me, it has a compounding effect. Others hurt me just by simply not being there anymore. So a number of years ago, I stopped believing that any would stay, that any really loved me, and I certainly didn't believe that anyone would long to be with me, which is what desire means. Somewhere along the way, after one of those hurts, I just stopped believing. I shut down that side of myself because it was safer that way. It was just safer to not be hurt anymore. And then Sarah read those verses. And then I read those verses. Over and over and over I read those verses. I turned them over in my head and in my heart. I looked at them in context and out of context. I was trying to find any way possible to avoid them and have them mean something other than what they actually meant. I couldn't escape them. I was too much of a disciple for that. So I began to open myself up to the possibility that God didn't just love me, but that he desired me. And as I opened myself up to the truth of God's word in this area, I noticed a shift. It was an inward shift that began to show up externally. Sarah and I have this little affirmation board in our bathroom that she made. It was a Pinterest idea, as all great ideas typically are. And so she made it, and it says this. It says, I love you because... This was a subtle hint of a woman who needs affirmation towards a man who is not able to do it. And all you had to do, all you had to do was take a dry erase marker and just write in something there. We've had it for at least six years. And during that time, with all that I've just got done saying, you might expect that I used it very sparingly. Well... When I saw it when we got home from our vacation, we were just unpacking. I just wrote something on it and went on my way. The next day, I wrote something else. And then the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. And after seven days, I realized what I'd been doing. Because what had been this immense weight on me and a chore that I know may not make any sense to you, but it was just a burden, was just becoming a joy and a delight and something that I was excited about doing and I didn't have to think about it and I didn't have to stress about it. 
And what had been a chore and a wait for 15 years was being changed. And I realized that I had not made the shift. God had done something in me. At the same time, I began to feel a restlessness because we had finished our Song of Songs study, and at my suggestion, we were waiting to start the Roman study till my family got back from North Carolina, which they're leaving for this afternoon for a week. I thought, you know, why have the break? We'll just start when we get back. Well, last Sunday, as I was walking to church, that restlessness reached a tipping point, and I decided that we just we didn't need to wait anymore. We we're going to get started. And so last Monday, that's exactly what we did. We just started going through the book of Romans as a family. And I want you to understand again that, that I, didn't just, I didn't decide that as if it was a recommitment or some kind of renewal of a, a burden. It was just I wanted to do it with my family. I wanted to have this, this spiritual connection with my wife. I wanted to do the study together. And once again... It just demonstrates that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. So why am I telling you all of this? It's because God has done something. Something remarkable and something that my wife has been praying about for over 15 years. And something that I have been praying about for over 15 years years. And yet in one everyday moment, God just did it, and it was done. I can't explain it. I can't fully understand it, but I can tell you a few things by way of a couple of final points. First, I'm not telling you this to get sympathy points or to make a whole lot about Chris Greenwood. That would be a disaster if you left here this morning thinking that. What I really want you to hear is that God has worked a miracle in my life and thus in my family's life. I want you to hear that I'm not the same man that I was just four weeks ago. And I want you to hear that I'm not going to be able to forget this day because this is the day that I get to testify to my church family about what God has done in my life. And that is a remarkably great day. I also want you to know that I'm coming around more and more to the idea that God desires me. And that realization is healing some very old and very deep hurts. And I just want to tell you that I'm thankful to be at KPC. Because this local church body challenges me to not just to know, but to believe. So thank you. Each and every one of you. Thank you this morning. Thank you, fellow pastors and elders, for shepherding this flock so well. Thank you, worship and media teams, for leading us into worship each week so well. And thank you, congregation, for modeling to me what has been lacking in my life. The choice I made years ago was to shut down. And I'm guessing that some of you in this room have made that same choice. You've been hurt, wounded, scarred. You've decided it's not worth it. You've given up hope on finding solid, committed, lifelong friends. Maybe you've even given up hope on finding out that God loves you. 
this morning, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching by Facebook or listening later through a podcast, please hear me say that I'm not far removed from you. And I would call you to come alive to the same realization that I have. Not just that God loves you, and maybe you need to start there, but not just that he loves you, but that he desires you. Others of you have chosen the opposite of shutting down. You've chosen what's called neediness. Neediness is simply seeking from people what only God can give. It's more common than you might think, especially in marriages. But the amount of neediness displayed varies greatly. In some, you can hardly tell that they're needy people. In others, it's very obvious. But either way, you're trying to scratch an itch with the wrong hand. I wrote that, and I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> Until I thought about it. I was like, if you're trying to scratch like an itch right here with your... It doesn't, it doesn't work. That's what, I, that's what I thought. Anyway... I just left it in there because I just felt like maybe the Lord gave me that. Maybe that was a deep moment for somebody. But people can't provide what only God can offer. And what God is offering is more than enough to meet your deepest needs. So I'd like to pray for both those groups of people in just a minute. But first, I know that some of you here today have had the blessing of lifelong friends. You've been insulated from the repeated pain of friends lost. and So my prayer for you is that you hear me say that you, along with these people in these other groups, are bearing witness to a miracle. The Lord didn't bring me through cancer, as we've been able to see that testimony in the last couple of weeks or months as well. I haven't been physically healed of an injury. I haven't been delivered from some demonic oppression or possession. But I'll tell you this, what he's done in my life, to me, is equal to all of those things combined. Because I'm free of an incredibly heavy weight that I've had for over 15 years. And I am beyond thankful for his grace and his goodness. And I just want you guys to understand that we have a miracle working God that sometimes The miracle is an internal miracle that we don't easily see, but he's always at work. Visitors, I've tried to put myself in your shoes this morning as I prepared, and I can only imagine what's going through your heads as you sit here and say, this is nothing like any church I've even remotely sat through in my life. Let me say this. um, I can't apologize for what I've said this morning testifying to what the Lord has done and calling us to as a body to step into honoring and trusting the Lord through vulnerability is too important for me to try and apologize and back, back up from. But what I can say is that this isn't really the norm here at KPC, so um, I don't know if it might become the norm one day, but it's not yet. And come back next week and worship with us again. Um, I hope that what I've shared has been a blessing to you and not a distraction. Um, And so now I want to do final three things as we close down. I want to pray for those of you that struggle with neediness, those of you that have shut down like I was, and also just for those of you that have, you know, that this would be something you would remember as uh, a miracle that the Lord has done.
I want to invite people to come up and, and receive prayer after that with anybody that wants to receive prayer. And then I want to also give a benediction. So uh, I say all those things because last time, yeah, people kept trying to leave the service last time I preached, and I never got to the benediction until I just kept doing it. So I, I'm telling you, we're going to do a benediction. <laughs> but if you guys would just let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for letting me get through this this morning. As I have been with you on the journey these last four weeks, I can't escape that simple phrase that his desire is for me. God, I'm still humbled by it. I'm still trying to absorb all of it, and maybe I never will. And Lord, I know that maybe there's some that are thinking that it's parsing words between love and desire, and don't they mean the same thing? But for me, it's just very different to think that you desire me. And so, Lord, for those out there this morning who have shut down, who don't think that they're desirable, I pray that you would peel back that wall, that you would penetrate into their hearts and say, I do desire you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have called you into a relationship with myself, and I desire you. I desire you as my son, I desire you as my daughter. I desire you. For those who have been looking to people in situations and circumstances to fill this void in their lives and in their hearts, I pray that you would reveal to them that you are more than enough. And in truth, you are the only thing that is enough. That they've been spending their time and their effort seeking from people what only the creator of people can give. And so I just pray that they would see you clearly today as one who desires them and they would instead turn their affections and their efforts towards you and that you would richly meet them. And God, it's hard for me not to envy those who have had lifelong friendships who've had friends that they've had for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for the testimony of that. I thank you for the steadfastness and the consistency of friendships like that. And so, Lord, maybe this morning, you know, they've been interested in what I've had to say, but it doesn't really strike them right where they are. Lord, would you just help them to understand that it's not flashy, it's not um, supernatural in the sense of being a visible thing, but there has been a miracle testified today to in their midst. And that miracle has been 15 years in the coming. And so, Lord, I pray that you would allow that word to be a testimony to their friends and to their family within their own uh, sphere of influences that they could tell people, I heard about a miracle that happened at church, a 15-year miracle, and that you would use this to build your kingdom. Let none of this be about poor Pastor Chris and I feel bad for him and, and any of that because, God, without all that I've been through, this miracle would not be here to be testified to right now, and I recognize that.
And so somehow in the mystery of it all, I count it all joy. And Lord, I thank you for my wife and for my children. I thank you that you've done this work because this work allows me to lead them better, to be the husband I need to be and to be the dad I need to be in new ways and in better ways, ways that honor you and show you to all of them. I thank you for sustaining my family through these years. It hasn't been horrible, but it's been hard. And I thank you for all the other families in this room, that you would be just as much at work in them as you've been in ours, that they would not think that their pastors are far removed, but that we walk step by step with them through this journey called life. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for the joy that we have in seeing and hearing you work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For any of you that are slated to be prayer partners, if you'll come on up to the front, and as you're making your way on up, I want to encourage any of you that want to pray about anything. Uh, these, have, these people have been trained and to pray for you and care for you, and they're here for you. So please make use of them. The rest of you, if you would just stand and receive the benediction this morning. I've already said a little bit in what I said today, but I want to say the full thing. Go forth today knowing that he who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.